to Challenge of the Decade. Challenge of the Decade is a podcast series by FMO, the Dutch Entrepreneurial Development Bank. And in this series, we'll be discussing the challenges that lie ahead and the actions that need to be taken to reach the UN's sustainable development goals in the coming 10 years. My name is Jonathan Gruber, and in this episode, we're talking about blended finance. So what is blended finance? Blended finance is... It's pretty much like it sounds. It's when you mix both public or philanthropic capital with commercial capital to make otherwise risky investments less risky. This allows companies and projects to get off the ground in emerging markets. And this attracts investors from the private sector to get off the fence and actually start investing their money. These are investments that have a social impact, so impactful, in fact, that they're an absolute necessity if the world is going to reach those sustainable development goals and keep the world's temperature down, reduce CO2 emissions, and keep literally hundreds of millions of people from falling into poverty. So how exactly does blended finance work? How does it contribute? And what are the challenges blended financiers face? Well, to help me answer these and many Many other questions. I have two guests, and with me in the studio are Itzert Borsma. He's Director of Partnerships for Impact at FMO. Hello, Itzert. Good morning. Did I say your name right? You were correct. Because I said it maybe wrong five times today already. No, maybe six. <laughs> Insert. Okay. And also, uh, to my left here in the studio, is Andrew Johnstone, the CEO of Climate Fund Managers. Hello, Andrew. Hi, Jonathan. Good to be here. Yeah, and welcome to the both of you, and thank you very much for joining us. First question is actually to you, Insert. Your job title at FMO is one of the more descriptive, I've heard. Partnerships for Impact. What exactly does that mean? It means bringing commercial investors to difficult countries to act as a bridge between the public and the private sector so that people can co-invest with us to do good and to make returns. Right. And that's exactly what I just described, right? That you try and find commercial partners to come in and work with the, the philanthropic money or the public money that you already have, right? Exactly. Yeah, good. And that's all you do all day is you go around looking for, for uh, moneyed financiers. Is that correct? really going to, uh, well, in the past, to New York and London to talk with investors and they have a problem. They say, we want to have access to forestry, but we don't know how to do it. I said, okay, that's good. Let's bring a team together and let's co-create something where we can invest and give you the returns you want in a way it's decent and well-being for the people at the planet. Is this is that like a good definition of, of blended finance? It's getting there. I think blended finance is uh, it's a kind of, uh, it's not that difficult. It's in essence, if you look to an uh, cafe everybody likes to drink coffee it's a cafe uh, with a lot of milk uh, at the bottom there's coffee that's a kind of the highest risk it's at the bottom that's the public money the donor money and on top you put a bit of milk warm milk that's a kind of the the next stage of risk less risky because the coffee is there and that's a kind of risk maybe uh, development finance institutions or foundations can take and on top of that is the foam the milk foam that's really the commercial parties and so we can make it very difficult but in essence it's allocating risk to the parties that want to take that risk that's a really excellent metaphor. Well done. Have you asked Starbucks to invest yet? <laughs> Not yet, but I wonder where my coffee is. Yeah, me too. <laughs> like, I really want a coffee now. And of course, uh, uh, Andrew, you're here. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you're the uh, CEO of Climate Fund 
manager, which your website succinctly describes as a company that, quote, mobilizes private and public sector capital to respond to the climate crisis. Yep. Is that as huge as it sounds? Pretty much, pretty much. I mean, there are three big words in there. I mean, there's a ton of public money, there's a ton of private money, and there's a ton of um, climate challenges. So absolutely, I mean, the, 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 the aspiration, the mandate of the business is big. And it arises really from recognition that the objectives of the sustainable development goals in and of themselves are huge. And to achieve that, you need big stuff. You need a lot of money, you need a lot of mobility, and that's what the business is seeking to do, to get scale. Right. So we'll talk more about scaling up uh, sure. a little bit later in the show because that's, of course, supremely important because there's no way to reach the goals yep. unless you scale up. Because as you just pointed out, these goals are massive. So what is the role that blended finance plays in reaching those goals? Okay. So I'm going to build on its, its analogy, which I think is great. Typically and historically, instead of having all your layered coffee, you'd have the espresso at the bottom. And the espresso would do stuff, you know, you'd have a, a bit of capital that would go and do structured finance or project finance or hedging, or and they were all bespoke and very small. What Blended does is it adds the layers so that you have a big cup of coffee. Because the challenges that we have are enormous, for which we need a lot of money. And the way to get a lot of money is by layering it the way that it's described. So the role of blended finance, the role of blending is to get scale, to make sure that instead of having 100 like we used to have in the old models, this way we can have 500 by blending. That's the objective of blending. If you don't end up with more capital under management or to deploy, then blending really hasn't achieved its purpose. And the higher you go up the cup of coffee, the less risk. Broadly speaking, yes. Yes, it is. So by the time you've reached the foam... At the top, it's much more attractive to commercial investors. That's exactly right. Right. Exactly okay, right. I think I'm really getting this metaphor now <laughs> completely. Got the metaphor. And what did you guys think of my description at the top of the show? This is to the both of you. I mean, I described blended financing as this mix of public and philanthropic to make risky investments more attractive to the private sector. Is that accurate? Or am I missing some very important nuance here? There are two things that you're missing out of that that description. Broadly speaking, yes. Right. It's, it's, a, it's a use of capital which is more risk tolerant, which is your, with your public and your philanthropic, combined with other capital which is less risk tolerant. But the two things you're missing is the word strategic, is that you've got to do that blend in a strategic way. You don't just put it all into one pot and stir it up. The layering has to be quite well designed and has to be tactical. So you're using that philanthropic and that, and that public sector capital to address specific risks that are perceived by the private sector. That's the one word, strategic. And the other is scale again. I keep on banging on about scale. Is that the purpose of Blended is to recognize that there is a limited amount of and less capital in the public and philanthropic markets, and there's a huge amount of money in the public and the private markets. And so to use a little bit of public to mobilize a lot of private is really what Blend is meant to do. Right. Okay. So let's move well, from... Maybe yeah. if I might jump in, because sure. Andrew is saying uh, I corrected the definition in a nice way. I think the two more things. One is patience. Because blended finance takes a lot of time. That's mm-hmm. one. And the second one is catalytic. So it's taxpayers' money. And uh, we shouldn't waste that all. Because there will be a backlash in five to ten years. So only there where this is needed, you should do it. And not crowd out investors. And so it's free money. And free money should be temporarily. Should really do the trick. But let's be honest. A very bad project is still very bad with blended finance.
I think I'm starting to get it now. Um, it's and and I'm also I think the other thing I'm really getting is the complexity. So let's make it less complex for me and for anybody who's listening by giving a couple of really good examples that you feel typify what we're talking about. And if each of you had a good example, that would be that would be helpful. Let's start with you, Itzer. Climate adaptation. And that's uh, how can people live with the climate change that are happening? You need at least 100 billion a year to make it happen. But it's not easy because it's always done from the public sector. But the public sector realize on their own they cannot do it. So you need the private sector. But new technologies, new business models are needed. So what we've done is to reach out with a certain NGOs, SNV and WWF, to come together also with Andrew's funds, so the four of us, to say, okay, let's see if we can invest. So uh, that's not very concrete, but it's it's different. They, the SNV and the WWF, make the projects. We help them out, uh, and like we do, for example, in Vietnam. Vietnam, they have a big issue. So they're below uh, the sea level. Their income is uh, is going away because the sea level is rising and they're sold into their uh, rice fields. So there is a small project, only 350,000 K. So that's not that big. Where they say, okay, in the season that the, the seawater comes in, you do shrimps. And if the seawater is lower, you do rice. And the shrimps, by living there, they give the nutrition for the rice. You don't need more water. The income is uh, doubled even. And this is a small project. But if this works in one or two years, we will scale it up 100 times. So uh, that's what blended finance is about. My mouth just fell open. Scale it up by 100 times. And that's only the start. That's huge because Vietnam is a highly populous country. And of course, they're not the only country that has a sea level issue of salt water suddenly making inroads into sweet water mm. parts of the country, right? And I would have thought that that was already a big project, but I guess it's nothing. It's a drop in the bucket. Yeah, well, that's exactly right. I mean, I think if you if you look at the, at the objective of blended finance, which is this impact theme that comes through, and the impact is either in a in a real sense, a humanitarian sense, development sense, or it's a climate sense. The deficiencies and the needs for both of those impacts is just enormous. So what we do at a project level is important in the context of the project, but really it's to broadly speak, create a demonstration effect for others to follow and to set precedences, to create contractual frameworks that others then follow so that the impact then becomes exponential. Um, my equivalent from this is um, also in Vietnam, as it happens, we're doing a wind farm. And it's a near shore, so it's, so it's offshore, not on the land, but it's not, uh, not deep sea, it's just offshore. And typically when you build a, a power generation plant, you need to sell the power to repay the investment. You, pay, you, you, you sell it through what's called a power purchase agreement. And the person who's going to buy it or the entity or the utility usually should be long-standing, should be credit-worthy, should be dependable because they need to buy this power for 20 years. Most emerging markets don't have that characteristic in their utilities. They're usually small, they're early, they're badly funded, they really are bad credit. So what do you do? So what we do is we use blended finance because we've got that risk portion in the blended finance to actually build the plant. And we'll build the plant, notwithstanding the fact that the utility would be what other people would call unbankable. And we'll do so on the expectation that the power that's actually generated will feed into the economy. That economy will then produce a tax base, which in and of itself will make the utility 
either more more credit worthy or the utility will evolve into something which is equivalent to a first world utility. You know, so you we'll know, take that risk. Listening to you now, what I'm, I'm suddenly having a realization here that what you're talking about is by using blended financing and creating, you know, somebody's, if you'll forgive this expression, real money yep. coming from real creditors, right? That, yep. That's got to be paid. There's going to be pressure on you to make this thing work. Yes. You can't just make that that money disappear, that yep. investment disappear. So in a sense, it kind of keeps people more honest. In other words, you have to look more critically at what you're doing to make sure that at some point it's really going to pay off. Absolutely. Absolutely. You've, you've actually got to be far more analytical in deploying free money than non-free money. Because because the opportunity cost of that free money is so large, you can do so many things with it, you've got to actually be very conscious of what you're using it for. Have I, have I cottoned on to this correctly, Edsert, do you think? That it, that it makes you more honest? Yeah, I think it's uh, transparency. Huh? So it's, uh, what you say earlier, um, Jonathan, it's also about complexity. Uh, it's, it's a kind of an art, uh, the art of blending. I mean, how many coffees you got that you really thought is good. Mm. So it's a skill set that you have to develop together. It's not easy. But if you do it right, there is a big solution to be done. So actually, let's talk about the big solution part, because there's a very important question, which is just how much impact does blended finance have in achieving these big, ambitious SDGs? In other words, how much does blended finance matter to the world? I think there are two questions in there. How, how much does it matter? Enormous. I mean, at the moment, it's probably the most powerful tool we have in financing the objectives of the SDGs. And it, and it derived from SDGs. How, so, and can, is that true? I mean, can you prove that? I mean, do the numbers bear out? No. Bear so, that statement out? No. So that's the second question. Okay. As, 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 <laughs> as, are, are the numbers delivering it? The answer is no, because it is actually a very new technology. It, ah. it only evolved with the SDGs, and the SDGs only came about in 2015. So, so we're into five years of plan SDG. Remember, the SDGs followed on the MDGs, the Millennium Development Goals, which were humanity-based. They were development goals. Those were expanded into the Sustainable Development Goals, which included the planet. Not just people, but flora, fauna, ecosystems. And given the enormity because of Because it's that, all connected. Because it's all course, connected. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. It's, it's all sustainable. You right, know, we, yeah. we, we need all the, all the cogs in the engine to work yeah. for the engine to be sustainable. Um, and the tool of how do you finance that stuff was then blended finance. So we're, we're really into chapter one of quite a thick book of blended finance. And we're only five years in. So what I hear you saying is the impact is not the, uh, all that impactful just yet because it's new. Yep. But the answer to the question was how much does blended finance matter to the world? And you're saying it's it's the biggest thing we got. It's At, what we got going. I, I agree. Do you agree with that, Insert? Well, not entirely. Uh-huh. So... Uh, <laughs> What? <laughs> it's definitely a role to play, but it's still small. So it's up to us to show the world it works, that people can make money, and then the big money will move from New York and London. And that's one of the issues. So this is a trend. You have a couple of trends going on, and blended finance is well, kind of serving on the big trend. And if I can, can distill five trends, one, uh, Andrew always mentioned, that's uh, the SDGs, Sustainable Development Goals, difficult to pronounce. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's a vision of the world. So it's for me, it's for everybody anywhere. So it's not longer uh, for only American uh, or African countries, it's for everybody. 
that's one. Second one is the climate issues that were talked about earlier. And also one of the other podcasts was about climate issues. And the third one is the low interest environment. Uh, not technical, but look at your bank account. It makes nothing. Uh, so you can invest in Andrews fund or an emerging market you can make some money and the fourth one is uh, the industry of development finance it's a kind of industry and it's changing government realize they have to act with the private sector together private sector knows they don't know government that well but there are opportunities to invest and to make money and the last one i think is technology so fintech agritech ventures new technology brings access to people in rural areas people that are not on the grid the electricity is not going there but with this new technology you can reach them and those people they can become actors in the globalization instead of passive and uh, the richness passes them by so uh, this that is fascinating you've really i think explained very well uh, all the forces that are involved in all of this but, but very important question to to both of you but i'm going to give this to it's at first which is Do people know exactly what you're doing? Do they? Do the do the most important players? Are they aware that you are out there looking for them? Well, I think the answer is no. So I'm on conference uh, or pre-corona with 400 people, but we are uh, all preaching to the converted. Yeah. So I think it's the people yep. not in the room that we have to reach. Uh, the people that are sitting in the big office with the big money and they allocate billions. And I think if you go what going to emerging markets, is only uh, less than 1% of all the invested money. And so only if the real money starts to move, then we can have a uh, chance to save the world. Actually, my question, my next question, which bounces right off uh, what Itzer just said, and I'm sure you have something to say about this Andrew, I'm sorry if I interrupted you. No, no, no. Which is, uh, I was going to say, what's the one big issue that you guys still have to deal with? But I'm thinking that the one big issue that you all have to deal with is making people aware that you're out there. Um, yes. Yes, yes. yes. And, but, but in a bigger sense, I think the big issue is, the big, big issue is actually making people aware of the SDGs. It's, it's deeply concerning that probably less than 5% of the world actually know what the sustainable development goals are and that they exist. And this is the world plan. And most of the world don't actually know we've got a plan. But all of our goals, you already read that all these SDG goals are pointing to 2030. So that's only 10 years down the plan. Yeah. The SDG plan is a 15-year plan, and we've used a third of it already. And most of the people who are actually affected by it, participating and have, a, and have the opportunity to actually change their behavior in line with the SDGs, aren't aware that the SDGs exist. So underneath that umbrella, the question is, do the people actually, um, or, the, or the beneficiaries of what we do, are they aware of it? Probably, probably, um, but it is very bespoke. Uh, I'd like to... Bes- bespoke just, meaning that it's tailor-made for each individual. Yeah, I mean... We, and the, you're talking about a big worldwide plan, not a bespoke idea, but that everybody needs to know. So, so I agree. So, after, so post-World War II, we've gone through a process across the world where we've become very expert and very specialist in what we do. We spent 20 years believing that the world was being de-risked. Globalization was giving us a new model where we could actually become quite expert in a very small part and all those parts would fit together. What the SDGs are challenging us to do is say, actually, we should actually not become expert in everything. We need to have competence in it, but we've got to see it in the context of how everything fits together. You're, you're literally putting your fingers together. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so because they, all, yeah, because yeah, they yeah. all have to interconnect. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. And that's not the way we've been coded for the last 50 years. So we need to step back and say, how does energy connect to forestry? How does forestry connect to 
oceans. How does oceans connect to cities? All these things are intertwined because they all they are all uh, part of the plan and they all affect each other. But Andrew, you're talking about a and I hate this term a paradigm shift <laughs> in the way the world yeah. has worked since the end of World War II. So right, so and Bretton so. Woods and it's, all it's of these even, other things. Yes, yeah. so I think I'm yeah. uh, I'm not a pessimist by my nature, but if you see what's happening and what Andrew said, we have less than ten years and we're falling back. So more than one hundred million people fall back in poverty due to uh, COVID. Yeah. Uh, the climate change is accelerating. So we're running and racing against the clock. And I think that's our challenge. I'm optimistic by nature. Uh, we have to have courage and we show in blended finance it can be done. So you give people a way, you show them a road how we can act together in a different way. But exactly as Andrew said, I think it's really transformative what we have done together. And this is a new uh, paradigm shift. It's big, but it really is this. So it's a, what for you... When you look at the world and you look at what you're doing with your work, with your job, what gives you hope? It gives me hope that we have uh, programs uh, and projects that work. For example? For example, we have with the European Commission, and they also realized that only giving money away for free is not uh, always the solution. So they made a guarantee program, uh, 1.5 billion, not that big. And we put a product in there, it's called Nazira. And my Arabic is not what it uh, used to be, but it means uh, she who brings a victory. And what we do, we go to local banks, for example, in Jordan, we have a bank, Al Etilat, it's a big bank there. And we say to them, okay, we want to see how much you lend out to women business and to uh, people that are younger and want to become an entrepreneur. Those are the, the sectors that banks normally are not very eager to. And they have a high risk perception of that women maybe waste the money, whatever, men get it earlier. Not fair, but that's what we want to change. So we said to that bank, okay, show us how much you have there in that, in that line to those women. We Okay, we give you a guarantee for part of it. So part of it, the bank has to bear. So if it goes wrong, they, uh, they burn. But if it goes well, uh, they get the money. And we give that guarantee back to the European Commission and to the Dutch government. So it's very sophisticated. It's not easy. It took us two and a half years to get it off the ground. But it's working. So now the bank has data. They see how much risk they bear on those uh, women companies. And they believe they can do more. But it's a highly structured product. So it took us a lot, a lot of time to get it off the ground. We do it in Jordan. We just did it in Armenia. We do it in Kenya. And we show it to the world how it works so that people can replicate it and do it even better. And scale it up. And scale it up. And and you, sir. Andrew. So um, a couple of great examples. I mean, within the last four years that we've been operating, by virtue of the capital which we manage, which is this concessional risk, tolerant capital, we've been able to develop 40 projects that didn't exist before we started. Of those 40 projects, six are currently in construction. Now, these are things like wind farms, solar parks, rooftop solar businesses, in jurisdictions that investors historically would not have gone to. So I'm talking about Djibouti, I'm talking about Uganda, Nigeria, places that your mainstream investor is curious of, but he definitely won't put his money in there. So we're building projects which is contributing one gigawatt of power to communities who hitherto haven't had power at all. And this is over a relatively short period of time. Before blended finance enabled us to do this, this just wouldn't have happened. And these are good things. I promised we'd come back to this topic, which is the scaling up of all of this, right? Because... Mm. 
It's, uh, I think, if I'm to understand this discussion that we've had so far, everything you're talking about is incredibly promising, but in the end kind of meaningless unless it gets big. Yes. Right? Yes. Yep. So how do we scale this up? Richard, how do you do this? Yeah, I think it's <clears throat> showing um, people what we have done. So investors. Mm. So I give them back the track record, the returns, but also the impact story uh, to show jobs are created, uh, CO2 emission is avoided, uh, kids go to school. Um, so we can, we can do that. So it's, it's an open source architecture. So if we come with a discovery or find something, uh, Andrew and uh, the Dutch Development Bank work together on a very innovative structure that's now the company he runs, then we just show it to the world. We are open, we are transparent, and we hope, and not like with competition, you hope they don't follow you. But here we really hope that in five years' time we're back in the studio, that there will be five Andrews sitting here with one and a billion. <laughs> that, that but but doesn't exactly it right. have to be more than that, insert with the hope, right? Because I think your job at this point yeah. is, in, in preparation for this, we had a discussion and we were talking about, and I have to bring this in there because it seems incredibly important, that there's a huge pool of money sitting in banks all around the world just waiting for investment on the part of financiers. That's right. And they'd rather let it sit in a bank account earning nothing because there's zero interest, yep. right? Or maybe even yep. negative interest. Yep. They have to pay money on it to the banks, yep. right? They'd rather let it sit there than actually make these investments, which you guys are talking about. So the job is to get that money free. Exactly. Yeah? Exactly right. Yeah, and yesterday we closed with an investor again, $150 million. It's an investor from Asia. We never worked with that party before. Uh, they didn't invest in uh, this kind of uh, high-impact uh, stuff, I would say. Uh, so it, it's getting there. It's getting out. Uh, we're working uh, with a very big insurance company for $1 billion. It's still small. Uh, but it's also, if we show it works, that insurance company will go to other parties and say, hey, look what we have done with this, this silly Dutch development bank. Yeah. We can do that with others. So for us, it's not only being very happy with all the transactions we do ourselves. It's in our mandate to show it to others, to let them copy, and to do it better than we. And then we can learn. And I think that's really the true spirit of, uh, of how we work together. And yeah. we are, we're on a public mission. We have to save the world. Only bankers can say, one billion, it's small. <laughs> a social banker, a banker with a heart. Huh? I understand. I understand. I want to go to party still, so banker is not really uh, into it. Yeah, yeah. Right, uh, uh, Andrew, you were going to. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. I think it, it is. It is working and it is changing. It's, it's accelerating at a rapid pace. The conversations we had five years ago in the run up to Paris COP in twenty fifteen were sort of aspirational. You know what what's possible. The conversations we have now are implementation. It's demonstration effect, what's working, what's not working. There's a lot of governments, a lot of institutions leaning into this space. And so it's really it's, it's central. And for me, it's really three things that have changed. One is climate change is real. Everybody acknowledges that. There's no debate now about does it exist or not. It's affecting everybody and it's embraced by everybody. So that's real. That's filtering through. The second is having the U.S. back in play is very material in terms of the U.S. Having the U.S. back. Yeah, yeah. having the U.S. back. Um, and and during the, those last five years where people sort of looked centrally and, and Asia played, I mean, Europe played a very important role in keeping that ship going in the right direction through the European Commission, but now augmented by the U.S., Really, it's now become an undeniable fact that money is going to flow in this area. It's happening. It's You're happening. saying it's happening. It's happening. Okay. And technology. 
And technology is enabling us to actually do things, change our behavior in a way that actually we can contribute to climate, climate adaptation and mitigation, and we can actually make the difference, and we can also make the numbers work. Now, imagine that money suddenly came free. And are we talking about, I mean, my head says hundreds of billions, but it might even be trillions. Trillions? trillions? Yeah. Oh, my God. So imagine that trillions of, of dollars came free. What, what would be the first thing you'd do with it? I think we would uh, scale up uh, infrastructure, uh, but give everybody in the world uh, decent access to electricity. Yep. It's one. Uh, there are still one hundred of million of people without electricity. If you don't have electricity, you can do nothing. Uh, you're, you're, you're kept in poverty. You cannot start a business. You cannot uh, read the, the lamp in the evening. So you cannot uh, really study for school. So I think really to uh, put in the infrastructure... Not not only get the electricity there, but also uh, make sure that people get it. Eh? So Andrew is is, uh, is is making electricity, but it also has to go to the people. So that whole distribution process has to be there. Second, connect. Countries in Africa are not that well connected. So put in infrastructure. But I think the most important one is the healthcare. So we saw it in this corona crisis. It's just not fair. People are somewhere dying. So the whole healthcare sector really speeded up. Why would people not have access to the basic infrastructure on healthcare? And if you uh, and healthcare investment is is yielding so much dividend for people. So if you give them that education, healthcare, and that's the sectors those are not so easy because they're public run sectors in some countries, and there the change has to happen. So I would start there. It's it's a real pity you haven't actually thought about this at all, insert. It's a real shame. <laughs> yeah. You seem to make it up. Yeah. <laughs> we'll do next time better. Wow. And and just what we, because right. we're running out of time. Just can you give me just one example of the one thing you'd like laser like focus on? I would make a war against carbon. And so we're doing a lot of stuff, good stuff on the mitigation side, the way we actually put carbon into the atmosphere. And we're changing that through renewable energy. We're doing it through electric transport we, and energy efficiency. We're making good headway. What we're not doing is actually taking that carbon out of the atmosphere and putting it back in its solid state. So carbon needs to be, goes up into the air and then has to come down again, called sequestration. There are only two pe- things that do that, oceans and forests. And we're not doing any of the, any, we're not putting anything like the amount of money into protection and vitality of either of those. That's where I'd focus. I'd take that, I'd take that trillion and I'd make sure that the oceans fulfill their role as a carbon sink by revitalizing them, making sure that they are equipped to sequestrate the carbon. And I'd do the same with forests. Wow. That seems pretty clear too, actually. Do you agree with that? It's it? Is it, is he? On the right track? Laser beam my answer. Yes. <laughs> well, then, I really just have one more question for the both of you. And that is, is there a moment while you're doing this job where you say to yourself, where something has happened, where you say to yourself, yes, this is why I do this. This is what makes it worth it. Yeah. Many times. Well, I was in Peru a couple of years ago. It was a kind of desert where they had uh, water from uh, the mountains. And there was nothing there. People told me a couple of years ago. And now there was a farm that used that water. And they gave people uh, jobs. People got to school. And they got roads. It was still, for me, poverty. But the people were happy. And one of the persons there came to me and said, Well, I was living in the Middle Ages and I'm suddenly in the 21st century. How did that make you feel? It made me proud and happy. Excellent. And you, sir? 
I paused because I feel it every day. Um, every day I think this is worth it. And, I, and in trying to articulate the answer, for 20 years of my life, I was an infrastructure financier. My expertise was infrastructure, project finance. Over the last five years or so, doing what we've been doing, we've transformed into a climate-focused blended financier. And that shift, while technically in its manifestation doesn't look very different, it's still wind farms. Yeah, it's still <laughs> rooftop solar. Still, but, the, but the manner in which we're doing it is, is so fundamentally different in that climate as the, as the purpose and the challenge we've got to address and the toolkit being blended, blended finance, just gives me enormous hope that we've actually got the right things to address the tomorrow's challenges, much more so than we did in the past. So, so you, every day you, you like, think Oof. we're going to do this? You think this Absolutely. is going to happen? Absolutely. You think this is going to happen, Edson? Definitely. Absolutely. That's fantastic. Well, that was our show. How do you feel? Too short. It's too short, right? Yeah, man. Yeah, let's double yeah, We were exactly. having a great time. Get some more coffee. Let's carry on chatting. Yeah. Let's talk about something else. Uh, well, uh, let me just say this. A big thank you to you. It's Ed Borsma, Director of Partnerships for Impact at FMO, and Andrew Johnstone, CEO at Climate Fund Managers. Thank you so much to the both of you for making this such an not just informative show, but, you know, it was kind of fun hanging out with you guys. Thank you. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, Jonathan. It was great. So this is a new podcast still, and we're dying to know what you made of it. You can do this by rating us and leaving a review wherever you get your podcasts. And you knew this was coming, right? Don't forget to subscribe. Now, you can also hear the challenge of the decade on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and on our website, future-minded.fmo.nl, future-minded.fmo.nl. This has been Challenge of the Decade. My name is Jonathan Gruber. Have a challenging week. 